Over the past few weeks, since we have started the narrative lectionary, we have been working through the Old Testament, and we've been looking at um, kind of the history of the human race, and, and we took a look at the fact that we were created for relational harmony, we were created for peace, we were created, created for shalom, not just with each other, but with God and with the entirety of creation. And we saw that that, that harmony was broken, we, we made some bad choices, we ate ourselves out of house and home, and then we tr- have been trying to fix that situation ever since. We've been trying to find how it is that, that we get back to that state of peace. You know, in chemistry, one of the things that you learn is that, that systems like to be at a state of equilibrium. They search for equilibrium until they find it, and we have been searching for equilibrium for quite some time now, but it doesn't, hasn't quite worked. We looked at that uh, through... Abraham and through the way that he behaved and the way that he listened to God. We looked at that through Jacob and the way that he was transformed from deceiver into let God rule. And today we're going to take a look at what is very much a familiar story. If you grew up in the church at all, this is, this is probably a, a familiar story. The kids talked about it, the story of the burning bush and the story of the call of Moses. Typically, when we read something like the story of the call of Moses, we are looking at it and we look at Moses and we try to pay attention to who Moses is and all the things that he did. One of the things that stands out in Moses' call is the number of times that he resisted his call. And we like to point that out and we like to say, see, God, God will be persistent and, and, and you, know, you just have to be able to listen to God. But really, one of the great things to do, we like to read ourselves into the story, but one of the great things to do with Scripture is to go through and to read about the character of God in all of these stories. Like I said, we like to read ourselves into the story. We like to see the way that we fit into it. But Scripture is first and foremost a revelation to us of who God is. And so as we take a look at the Exodus passage for today, Exodus, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, so uh, anything beyond, uh, if you're not seeing Genesis or Exodus, you're, not, you're way too far. Exodus 1, 8 through 14, it'll give us a little bit of context, and then 3, 1 through 15, kind of the meat of the passage. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to there. As we take a look at that, we're going to notice two things. We're going to notice who God is. And we're going to notice how God works. Who God is and how God works. And we want to pay attention to those two aspects of God. So let's go ahead and read here in Exodus 1, 8 through 14 and 3, 1 through 15. Hear God's word as I share it with you. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people. The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread." 
So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. End of chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. (coughs) There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is God's word to us. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach Your Word in such a a large chunk of Your Word, help us to understand what it is You did so many years ago in the life of Moses and in the lives of Your people. Demonstrate to us how that reveals Your character. Show us how it, it lets us know how You work so that we can trust you more and more and more. We struggle just as your people did to understand who you are. And so open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand this day who you are. Strengthen my words, for mine are empty, just a, just a vapor in the wind. 
but you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to start with this question about how God works before we talk about who God is, because God kind of introduces it in the text in this way, and I'm, I'm going to follow that because it's, it's good and it makes sense more when we do it that way. You know, it can be difficult to get people to see, the, uh, it can be hard to get people to see the difficulties in our lives. You know, when you're talking to someone in conversation, oftentimes it turns into a game of one-upmanship, you know. Oh, I I had to walk uphill both ways to school. Oh, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow without boots. Oh, I longed for boots and I longed for a short hill. You know, and, and it becomes these discussions about... And at the end of the discussion, no one feels that their particular problems have been seen or heard. As a parent who has worked through the IEP and 504 system and and found resistance in that, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, I have experienced that as well. From principals that have looked at me and said, well, his test scores are fine, what's the problem? To teachers who, who, bless their hearts, I say that as a former teacher. Hear me. Remember, I taught English. We want to talk Beowulf. I'm there with you. Who said, well, we just don't know what to do. And Katie and I have said, we have told you time and time and time again what to do. You know, we we struggle to feel heard. We struggle to feel understood in the world. Yet the feeling that occurs to us when someone actually does express that they understand how we feel is powerful. It's unbelievably powerful. Sitting in a conference room as, you know, Katie and I joke that we never saw ourselves as as private school parents, but for a period of time out in Illinois, we were private school parents. Because in Illinois, the private school system was better than the public system in terms of resources and help. And I remember the day that Katie and I first met with the teachers at the private school out in Rock Island, and they said, oh, we've dealt with, with this before. Here's how the long-term plan to make everyone successful. And we both started to cry. That, it's, that's a powerful, powerful feeling when you are heard when someone understands and that connection is then made. And I bring this up because in 3, seven, Exodus 3.7, we see what God says there. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I said we were going to do the who second, but there's a little bit of who in this. We see in this passage that God is the God who hears. God is the God who sees. 
God is the one who is able to look in and to understand even when we are unable to speak and unable to, to name and be in conversation with God. God still hears the cries of our hearts. You know, it's interesting, even in the New Testament, as we talk about prayer, you know, it's, it's funny because we are instructed that, that when we run out of words with which to pray, the Spirit then takes over. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit then takes over and intercedes for us with, with wordless groans. Prayers for which words are not enough. The Holy Spirit takes over. God is the God who sees our problems, who sees our suffering. God is the one who is able to understand what we are going through and cares deeply. Cares deeply not enough not just to hear and to understand, but then to act. God sees the issue that is going on with the Israelites. And then in the very next verse, he explains what he's going to do. So I have come down. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. The people of Israel were unable to break their bronze of slavery. It's very interesting. We talked in Sunday school about this. We talked about the fact that there were a numerous uh, there were numerous Israelites in the land. Why didn't they if the political leaders were so scared of them? Why didn't they just kind of rise up and take their toys and go somewhere else? This was a people who weren't native to Egypt. This is a people who came to Egypt during a famine. They were foreigners in a foreign land. Their history was in another spot. You know, even when generations have gone by, you can still tell when you are from somewhere and when you are not from somewhere. No matter how far I roam, I am always from Lawrence County, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. No matter how far I have gone, that history is still there. And I still enjoy Coney Island. If you don't know what that is, Route 18, it's a hot dog shop. A little bit better than Brighton, I know. I shouldn't give heresy from the pulpit, but... But, but there's always that history. And so this is a people, why didn't they just get up and go home? Well, that's not our nature as people. We grow comfortable in where we are, even if there is some place else we could be. We grow comfortable in the, the difficulties, in the anxieties, in the, the problems that we face. And so we are unwilling to go and change that. We, the, the phrase that we have, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. We prefer that devil we know, even if we're from somewhere else. And Egypt had been the solution in the past. As I said, the people of Israel came down. Jacob brought his, his sons down from the land of the Canaanites in order to find food because there was a famine. And so Egypt had been the solution. And as they, as they were there as a people, they were probably, it's not going to get back. Surely they don't mean slavery, slavery. Surely they don't mean that, that we're going to build this entire 
city by ourselves. Surely they don't. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, yes, they did. And so the the people are unable to break the bonds of their slavery. They can't see beyond Egypt. They can't see beyond the machinations of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so God intercedes. God comes down to lift them up when they couldn't do that for themselves. How does God act? By entering the picture. God is the interceding one. That's how he acts. I love courtroom dramas. Any courtroom drama lovers in here? Oh, wow. The 90s called. They want their, their, their poster boy back. <laughs> I grew up on Matlock and Perry Mason and Law and Order, and some of you are going, wow, Perry Mason, yes, Raymond Burr. I, Raymond Burr was a household name. And anyone under my age is like, who? But I love courtroom dramas. There, there's always some sort of linchpin piece of evidence. There's always a linchpin, um, a, a linchpin witness. There's always some linchpin logic that enters into the situation about 45 minutes into the show that blows the case open and you suddenly understand the picture becomes full and you understand what has gone on. And and God's action is to come into our situation when we cannot see an answer for our lives, when we don't know where the money is going to come for. How many many times I heard my mom say that, that in the the years of her and my dad's marriage that, that they didn't know how they would pay a certain bill and then suddenly he would sell, he, he liked to build uh, uh, model ships and planes and, and so on and he would sell a model and he'd come home with the money and toss it on the table. He's just, Mom was the money person. He's here you go. And it would cover what bill needed to be covered. God enters the, into the situation providing that, that pivotal need at that pivotal moment. God does not leave us but enters into our situation. For Israel, the situation wouldn't change except for God. For Israel, the, the, the situation was hopeless. They could not conceptually understand that they could rise up and leave. God needed to raise up Moses. We talked about the fact that nothing in Moses' life was wasted. Moses spent 40 years being raised as an, Egyptian, as an Egyptian prince, and then 40 years as a quiet, private uh, shepherd out in the deserts of Midian. And all of those skills came together in order to fulfill God's purposes in his life. What are the purposes God is trying to fulfill through the unique matrix of skills, experiences, and history that he has put into your life? Have you asked that question? Have you wondered what it is that God has used your entire time for? what he has prepared you to do on behalf of his kingdom? Because he was preparing Moses for those 80 years 
before he was ready to lead the people of God. And when the time was right, he entered into the situation, into the life of the Israelites, into the life of Moses. It was hundreds of years into the life of Israel and 80 years into the life of Moses. And he brought these things together into them and started the work of their deliverance. There's so much wrapped up in there. God's timing is not our timing. And yet he sees something far beyond what we are able to see. And he enters when we are least able to see it ourselves. That is who God is. That's how God works. How is God wanting to break into your life? to use you to fulfill the purposes that He has been planning for far longer, probably, than you have any idea. He still wants to intercede today. 1,400 years after Moses, God would personally intercede then as again, this time in the birth, in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of His own Son, Jesus Christ and would intercede for us on the cross in a way that we could never imagine and restore that relationship so that we could come back into a relationship with God because we found we couldn't do it on our own. And like I said, He still wants to intercede today. What is it that God wants to intercede in and how does God want to use your history for His glory? The question that you may have at this point is one that leads us to the who, and it's a question that Moses had as well. He didn't say it this way, but it comes out in the text. Moses wants to know, how how can I trust you? How can I trust that that you are who you say you are and and that you can do what you say you are doing? Uh, After all, Moses, I think most of us, you know, kind of read the text where he says, I'm going to go over and see this thing. You know, we kind of read it in this ultra-faithful, ultra-spiritual way, and and Moses is probably like, I got to take a look at this because I'm, I have been with sheep way too long. He is questioning himself. He is saying, am I seeing what I think that I am seeing? And when he has heard the voice of God and he's looking around and saying, how do I know this is happening? Because these sheep are not going to say anything. All I've got is me, my staff, and a bunch of sheep. This is not going to go well at dinner. And he asks, how can I trust, you know, if the people of, uh, of Israel say to you, you know, sure God spoke to you, what's his name? How do you know we're talking about the same person here? God responds with his name. Now, if you're looking to accomplish something, let's take an aside here just to illustrate. If you're looking to accomplish something that you have never done before, who is it that you want to talk to about accomplishing that. What was that? Google. Google. (laughs) Who, not what? (laughs) YouTube. YouTube. Oh, goodness. 
How about, uh, wow, we have really lost it as a, as a people, haven't we? The machines have taken over. All right. No, like when, when I started my doctoral studies, first week of doctoral studies, they brought in three people who had finished their doctorate in the same program. Because they said, see, you can do it too. You want someone who has been through that before. You want someone who has been able to, to accomplish what you think is, is unaccomplishable. And maybe still think is somewhat unaccomplishable. But that's okay. Um, but you want someone who's been there before. Someone who knows how to get to the other side. You want someone who, who knows what they are doing. And God reveals in his response to Moses that he is someone who can be trusted. In verse 14 of chapter 3, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is who you are to say to the Israel, this is what you were saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. As well, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says nothing, God responds nothing of the qualifications of Moses, but instead says, I will be with you. Because you're right, Moses, it's not about your qualifications. You are underqualified, you are underskilled, you are under-talented for this job, but I will be with you. I am who I am. That is, Moses, I have been there. Because to you, you don't know how this turns out, but to me, the past, the present, and the future are all one, and I can see them all together. I am already there on the other side of it. I was there before you were here, and I am with you right now. I see all of that. If you had a tour guide, if you were hiking a mountain, you would want a tour guide that could tell you, I know right where all the pitfalls are, and I will get you through them. And that's what God says. I am who I am. I am there with you. Do we live this out? Do we understand the hope that this name provides? Do we wake up in the morning and say, I am is with me. I don't know what today brings, but God does. His presence is already waiting for me at the other side of this day. And his presence is there with me now just as he was with me yesterday. And let's not discount the power of hope in our lives. I'm, uh, this is not just a kind of a, a Robert Schuller, the, the power of positivity thing, but I want to highlight the difference that hope makes and the power that we are designed to run on in terms of the hope of God. Back in the 1950s, Dr. Kurt Richter performed an experiment on rats. Now, I have to, I have to preface this. This experiment would not be allowed by ethical procedures today. Anyone familiar with Dr. Richter's study in the 1950s? I didn't, I didn't think so. We don't want to talk about it because rats are going to die in this, just to let you know. He took 12 rats, and he wanted to see 
uh, first of all, it was a, it was, the experiment was a little different, and he modified it, and he took 12 rats, um, 12 wild and 12 domesticated, and he wanted to see how long they would survive in a vat of water before they died. Yeah, I know, I, I told you, it wouldn't be allowed by ethical protocols today. And regardless of the type, whether domestic or wild, it took about 15 minutes for those rats to, to give up and stop swimming. They tried something. They, um, they tried the experiment again, but right before the rats went under for the final time, right before they drowned, they would take them out and they would dry them off and they would let them rest for just a short period of time before putting them back into the water. So rescue them right before they fell into hopelessness and died. What do you think happened with the rats? How long did they last in the second go? Longer? How much longer? Double 30 minutes? Let's go higher. 60 minutes? That's a good guess. One hour? Let's go higher. 24 hours? That's a good guess. Let's go higher. Huh? Not quite a week. They lasted 60 hours treading water. Let's not underestimate the power of hope, the way that we were meant to live in relationship with God. When we are connected to the source, when we believe that God is there with us, 60 hours? I mean, it's a long period of time. Do we live as people of hope? Do we live as people who know that our Maker is there with us, and that our Maker is not just there with us, but our Maker is also Redeemer and friend, and our sustainer as well. Do we live on our own strength, or do we live on the strength that comes from knowing who God is? I am who I am. I am who I was. I am who I will be. All perfectly acceptable translations of God's name. That's who God reveals himself to be to us because he wants to be in our lives. He wants to be connected with us. He wants to be engaged with us on a personal level. He wants to, as he said with, with Moses and the Israelites, he wants to come down to lift us up and to give us a hope and a future. That's who God is. Are we living into the reality of who God is and how God operates? He is the eternal one, and he is the interceding one. Let's understand those characteristics of God in our hearts, not just in our minds, and live out the hope of of Jesus Christ into a world that desperately needs it, a world that is too laden with hopelessness and that desperately needs to hear that God is at hand. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that you have lifted us out of that vat and you have dried us off and you have set us down, not to put us back in and again and see how long we will last, but, but to be in relationship with you. You have always created us to be in relationship with you. You desire that for us in the garden. You desire that for us now. And you desire that for us when your son comes again and righteousness will reign on the earth and you will set everything right. Help us to live into that, to know the hope that comes from who you are, being the eternal one and how you operate as the interceding one. Help us not to feel alone or abandoned, but to know that you are with us. We give you thanks for all that you have done for us and who you are. Help us to live into that, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. We come now to the central symbol, to the sacrament that shows us that God is the eternal one and that God is the one who intervenes on our behalf. As I said, it was 1,400 years after the life of Moses that, that we realized that until the world realized the coming of Jesus Christ, the ultimate intervention on our behalf. And in interceding for us, he gave his own life. And he demonstrated it with those who were given to him as the disciples, those who were apostles. And in his final meal with them before his crucifixion, he, he took bread. He said, this is, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for who you are. You are our creator, you are sustainer, redeemer, and friend. We give you thanks that you are the God who intercedes in our lives. We think, O oh God, of the history of your people as we have been studying it. We give you thanks for your call to Abraham, calling him out of idolatry, calling him out of his own people to be your own and sending him to a land that you would show him one day. We give you thanks for his response to your life. We give you thanks for being the God of Abraham, but the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob as well. We thank you for calling Jacob from his deceitful ways to be one who followed you tremendously, one who followed you in the best way he could. Lord, the history of your people is a history of your faithfulness. 
even as it is a history of our unfaithfulness. Through your people, Israel, you raised up prophets, priests, and kings to serve you. Prophets to call the people back to you. Priests to serve you and to glorify you. And kings to give administration to your people and to point, you to that, uh, point them to you in all of their life. O oh God, when these had failed, in the fullness of time, you brought forth your Son, born of a woman, He was one of us. Born of your Spirit, He lived a sinless life. He was tempted in every way that we were, and yet was without sin. And when the fullness of time came, He was obedient to your will, even to death on a cross. And in His death, He buried the stain of sin which separated us from you for so long. In His resurrection, He he lifts us up out of the grave into new life, life that will be in peace, in shalom, in harmony as you have created it to be for all eternity. O God, throughout the ages then you have given us the church We ask that you would bind us together with believers across time, space, and culture into the fullness of the head of the church, which is your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave us this sacrament as a lasting sacrament and reminder of your gracious intercession on our behalf. Make this food and drink, the real spiritual food and drink of the people of God. Nourish us through it, we pray. And all of this we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.